Welcome to Earful of Dirt, the Major League Rugby Podcast. Each episode, your hosts bring you news, views, and abuse from America's professional rugby union, along with all the latest on the USA national team. Now, with all that said, let's get on with the show. And we're live. Welcome to the Earful of Dirt Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Joshua Fredland, and... If you aren't already aware, but you probably should be if you have listened to us, we Aaron Castro is no longer with us. Excuse me. He's no longer part of the podcast. Um, I shouldn't say he he's lives. no longer with us. He still lives, but he's no longer part of the podcast, and I have taken over hosting duties. Joining me tonight is Craig Deli. Craig, how have you been? I've been great. Never better. How have you been, Josh? It was Josh's birthday yesterday, so everyone yeah. wish him a happy birthday. If, if if you want to sing in the comments, go ahead. But I'm I've never been one to really celebrate my birthday ever. That's why we gotta wish him happy birthday, see. So nothing nothing as eventful as a birthday for me, but uh you know, good week, busy week at work. Uh but I did get to watch you know pretty much all the rugby, so uh looking forward to discussing it. <laughs> the last part, sorry. All good. I'm ready, I'm ready to rock. All right, first game up, everyone's favorite game because of the wind and the announcers. We had Toronto over Utah. Ended up being a pretty good game, you know, besides the wind. You know, you had one team get out and another team catch up and then just back and forth the whole game. I ended up being a pretty good match overall for the weekend. Um, what What were your thoughts on the game, Craig? You know, I, I thought uh, Utah's performance was pretty disappointing. You know, it was very windy. I, I, you know, I don't know what, what difference that made exactly. Maybe it changed some of the kicking dynamics, but it wasn't as if, you know, Utah were just kicking and lo- and losing kicks or, or losing line-out throws. I thought they played, frankly, a very lackadaisical defense in particular. You know, they just didn't seem to be – hustling through their rotations on, you know, after phase play. And, you know, like the first Seattle try, if I recall, like they barely even attempted a tackle, got us ran right through. I mean, it, it just seemed like a very low energy effort on defense from Utah. Um, and I think they paid the price. I don't know if they were looking past this game, like a trap game, and they, you know, were, just were flat for it. At one point, even the, the broadcast even said, like, Utah – is very flat right now, and I was thinking the same thing at that exact time, which was you know they're they're taking balls from the back of the ruck, completely stationary, getting no forward momentum. Didn't seem to have any real idea on how to do better than that. So, I mean, I thought Toronto played fine, played fairly well. Uh, Mike Shepard, you know, had a good game. He's always he's always a solid player. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I I guess I'm more disappointed in Utah than I am impressed by Toronto in this one. I, I can I can definitely see that, especially because Utah was down a man. Tyler Fisher suspended two weeks, and they had the wind working against them. They seem to be one of those teams who works whose main bread and butter is the kicking game, and it didn't work in their favor today. They seemed more disjointed than usual. This yeah, but I mean, they they had the you know obviously half the game the wins uh, against them, but half the game the wins favoring them or whatever you know whichever way you think is favoring them. But 
I mean, I don't know. I just they kept talking with the wind. Obviously, you can see kicks getting skewed by the wind, but I don't know. I, I feel like I, I I am having trouble finding a way to justify that being the excuse for Utah here. Um, but Utah just came off such a nice win uh, as well last week against LA. So I I, I kind of think they were just it was a hangover for beating the Gal- the Giltinis last week and. Um, yeah, hopefully they'll they'll rectify it going forward. Uh, good for Toronto, stayed in the race in the East with a win. It's um, coming to New York this weekend, right? So they'll, they'll have a chance to uh, to make up some ground in the Eastern standings as well. They have a lot of work to do. Um, at the moment, they are eight points behind third place, and Toronto is. Yeah. So, actually, we'll, we'll get to this conversation a little bit. Um, the all the top three teams in the East all only have one loss. Yeah, so. East good. East is very good. <laughs> all right, next game up. The first game that started an hour early, but you know we ended up having four games going at once. So it's, I I managed to somehow be able to watch watch in quotes all four of these games. How did you do, Craig? I know you. May have t- had to take another day or two to watch them. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's yeah, that's pretty much how what I always do at this point. I only watch maybe one or two games live weekend, and then I watch the rest on the replays. The rugby network is great. I mean, it has all the replays; they're very accessible. They have the plus, um, at least on my iPad, they have the skip ten second feature button, so which is great for like scrum resets and lineouts. So you just basically <laughs> kill all that dead time, but not any extra time. Um, so yeah, I watched, I think I'm trying to remember if I, I maybe watched only, uh, probably watching New York game live. I didn't watch New York live actually. I think, I, I think the only game I watched live was, uh, New England and Austin. Um, anyway, uh, right. I actually thought this was LA's best game of the year. Uh, this was the first time they didn't, and it wasn't all game. Uh, but this was the first time for at least portions of the game, they looked like the LA of last year to me where they were running a really fast paced attack with multiple options at each, at each level of the attack. So, you know, Harrison got our quick ball from the nine to uh, the first pod, that pod could either crash forward, quick offload to the side or pull back and then essentially repeat that whole decision-making matrix we had not been seeing that, at least not not frequently this year for LA, and not at fast, not not at pace. I think we did see that for for portions of this game in San Diego, and they were very effective when they were doing it. So I don't know. Again, they're they're messing around with their fly half uh, in the absence of Gitto uh, and um, and Cardi and Luke Cardi both both out. Um, so yeah, they're trying some different some different folks in there. Maybe this this worked a little better um, than. Um, Luke Burton was working. Uh, yeah, well, he worked. Luke Burton actually started at twelve. At twelve, yeah, but not a fly. Well, who was the fly? It was. Uh, o- it was o- still IE, but they brought I- in. Um, I think what they did is they brought in Toss Smith in the fifty-fifth minute, moved Harrison Goddard out to fly half, and then put Smith in at scrum half. Yeah, but for the first couple of weeks, it was. Uh, Luke Burton starting in fly half. And I think they were really struggling to get offensive ball going. So I think they're they're doing a little better now. Um, yeah, they still certainly seem like they can use Gitto's return whenever that point may be. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I liked what I saw from them. This this was a good week for them. 
San Diego, I, I think, is kind of like uh, – San Diego seems to be almost a great measuring stick for this season. You know, like they're pretty good. They don't have any glaring weaknesses, but they're not great in any particular way that I can think of. I mean, they have a few really good players. You know, there's some crafty veterans. But they're kind of, I, I find them to be a good measuring stick. You know, if you're beating San Diego, then you're playing like a playoff team. If you're losing to San Diego, you're probably not playing like a playoff team. Uh, San Diego is going to be, I think, is going to end up on the fringe of the playoffs, you know, either in or out. So they're, they're probably the most kind of benchmark team we have right now. So today, LA, you know, this weekend, LA was above the benchmark. And, and I, I do agree with you there. I do see that. You know, San Diego has has shown that they 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 tend to play down to teams, but they can also play up against certain teams. So that I, I can definitely see that. And then. You know, we mentioned the injury list for LA. They have ten people on their injury list. Brian Ray pulled out a full list. So, Sean yeah. McNulty has a head knock. Adam Ash has a neck injury. Angus Cottrell has a knee injury. Uh, Langi Langi Hapakui has a knee injury. Cardi has the torn pec. Gitto has his calf injury. Ben Lesage has a broken hand. Um, I'm not familiar with this. Um, player Hardiker has a knee injury. John Ryberg has a hamstring injury, and then DTH Vandemerva has a knee injury as well. So they get a their depth that's is deep. really being tested. That's what you get when you have all you know old veterans playing, I guess. Uh, but I mean, in fairness, <laughs> they also brought in Joe Tefete, um to play hooker. So he's doing you know he's a, a solid player. I think I'm sure he'll do great for them. Um, and uh, you know who I think is playing great too for them is Ryan James, uh, who's I guess maybe playing, may may not have even be starting if if both Vandermeer and um, Ryberg were healthy. So yeah, some some of the, I mean that's a lot of injuries, of course, and that's tough for any team. Some of those may not really be having much of an on field impact. I, I think I think the lack of consistent direction at Flyhath had at least up to this week been an impact. Now maybe they're starting to get the flow with somebody else. So we'll see if they can keep that going in my view. And then, and, and, you know, speaking of Ryan James, I think he reminds, I've, at least I've seen a couple of people mention this. And when I think about it, I see the same thing. He it reminds me of a young Mika Cruze. You know, he, he wants to go all out, but he tends to make small little mistakes that kind of impact the game when you think about it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I can see that. I, I you know, yeah, Cruze still, still is like that. I don't know how old Ryan James is. If, if he's much, he may not even be younger than Mika Cruze. Uh, but um, yeah, I, I, I feel like Ryan James has a the potential, and you could probably say about Mika Cruz, but I, I think Ryan James has the potential of being one of the more explosive American players, even at the Eagles level. Um, so I really like watching him develop. Uh, but you're right, he does make some silly mistakes. There was some play this week, I recall, where I feel like he made a great – it was like he was chasing down a runner and he made a great recovery, but then he offloaded the ball right back to San Diego or something like that. Uh, so, I mean, like a dumb little play at the end ruined what would have been a fantastic play. Uh, so he, he does need to sharpen that up, but, you know, hopefully that will come with reps. And it's hard to – you know, you can't teach speed or explosiveness really. Uh, but you can teach smarts, so hopefully you'll pick that stuff up. Yeah. Uh, next next match up, we have uh, actually uh, Rooney, or excuse, I keep calling him Rooney. You know, they dropped the U. 
Um, Rugby New York dominated NOLA. Like, I don't – NOLA tried to make it a, a game. You know, they kept it close, and then New York just took it away. I mean, NOLA got a penalty try, which I I thought I saw some people say was up was kind of questionable, but maybe going back in the replay, I could look at it a little bit more. What would you yeah, think of the game, I mean, Craig? They, they called a penalty try on Brakely for pulling down a mall. I mean – that's uh, yeah. Obviously, it's hard to know who pulls down a mall. It seemed like a harsh. I mean, that was like there's no. It wasn't as if they had just given five warnings and this was like the seventh, sixth time. I mean, it was the first time they had pulled down a mall in that sequence, and it went immediately to penalty try and yellow card. I don't know. It seemed harsh, but whatever. It doesn't really matter. I think. Um, I think New York is, is just playing very well right now. They're they're playing so well with ball in hand. They play so well around the breakdown. They have they've had some shifting at ten too, but Andy Ellis is just such a veteran baller, you know. So he he started at ten this week. Um, you know, I think they lost nothing. You know, he may have been the best ten they've had all year. Frankly, uh, Windsor eventually came on. Andy Ellis got banged up a bit. I think uh, Nola. I mean, both teams had a, sort of a weird starting lineup. Nola had a lot of shuffling in their starting lineup. But I think they paid the price for that. They just they didn't see him very coordinated, particularly on defense. Like Carl Meyer, for example, who's a good player, having a good year. I don't think he's played much center. Um, I think he was really struggling with positioning at, at center. Uh, there were like the first try when he scored, he just got beat. Like a, he was really out of position. Uh, and he got beat on the wing, and then he threw at one point he threw like a, a long pass that got easily intercepted. He was just having, he was having a tough game. I just don't think he's used to playing. I, I think he was at 12. I, it doesn't seem like he's just used to playing there right now. Um, so I don't think I did the many favors. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, New York's playing very well right now. Um, and Nola is, is trending up a little bit, perhaps, but uh, wasn't good enough this week. Yeah, you know, a couple people from New York, you know, really impressed me. Um Kololo Tuiloma, you know, he he appeared for Utah in the COVID shortened season, you know, came back to New York this for this year, or came to New York for this season and is has really put on an impressive show. You know, he's had a couple tries in the past couple of games. And then I think Andrew Coe has really shown out and stuck his hand up for possible Canadian selection, even if unfortunately they have they did not qualify for the upcoming World Cup. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with Bo. I mean, you know, to to a, or whatever the, the the tight head is uh, a real Haas. I mean, he's a, he's a giant. I think they say he's three hundred pounds. Uh, he plays athletically. Coe's the guy who beat um, Meyer in that play I was talking about. It was you know it was he that got it that got wide and outside of Meyer and, and um, ran in for the first try. So yeah, both had good games. Yeah, I mean, I, New York just does such, is doing so well with ball in hand that you know I think teams are having trouble defending them because they keep the ball alive, they offload, they you know, grubber kick through the line, they attack from the ruck, you know, where they don't just pass out. They'll, they'll pick up the ball, run, draw t- uh, defenders, and then pass. They kind of do all the different things you want to see, and sometimes like against New England. I think they get a little too cute with it when they try to do too much. Uh, but you know, aside from that, I feel like they're really playing. They're, they're playing very well 
in and around contact and with ball in hand. Uh, so I think they're going to be tough for anyone to beat. And then next match, I think of the four matches that were going on, I think everyone kind of turned away from this one or watched it the least. Excuse me. You had da- uh, Seattle going down to Dallas, beating them 34 to 12. I know the red card in the 27th minute definitely didn't help. Um, but, you know, the Dallas scrum, at least when they brought their sub on in um, the recently acquired Herman Agenbach, you know, performed well, got a couple penalties for them. So they at least have that starting to look better. But, you know, they, they definitely do still have some things working to work out. And then Seattle, in this game at least, I know it's Dallas, but kind of looked like they got back to their championship winning ways a little bit. Yeah, yeah, Seattle yeah, had their way with this one. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, not much to say about it. I think Adrian Corelsa is still one of the best fly halves in the league. I mean, he's he's doing heroic things out there to put Dallas in position to score. But their defense is just too inconsistent right now, and they don't have the ball enough to to make use of that enough to you know to, to have a victory yet. I wonder how his ribs are feeling. Corelsa? Yeah. Took a huge hit from Samu. Yeah, Samu no crushes people. I think like the most fun thing when you're a forward is to get a unsuspecting fly half with a big hit. <laughs> so all right. I think you know it was relatively quick. I think most people expected that. Moving on to the final game of Saturday, the game you said you watched. Um, you know, it all in all turned out to be a pretty good game. I think some people had could say some things about how it was refed, but I think a lot of people would say, you know, it was fine. Austin probably got away with more than they should have, or New England let him off the hook, especially with two yet two two guys off with yellow cards. You know, Hugh Roach got off in the twenty second minute and um Christian Osberg got sent off in the twenty eighth minute and they were lucky to only give up ten points. So yeah, and it was real close to the end. I think New England scored late. Um, yeah, the the seventy third minute. Yeah, it was it was eighteen seventeen at that point. So it was. I mean, this was a nail biter. Great, great game. I mean, this, this is the, you know, I think New England technically is in third place, but I mean, essentially in a in a tie for first in the East versus the first place team in the West. Um, I think I to me the most interesting thing that came away from this is I thought it was interesting how. New, you know, in the NFL, they always say, oh, it's a copycat league. One team figures out something about how to effectively play against another team, and then everyone starts copying that. I think we're starting to see that in MLR as well, which makes sense. I think last year we had LA, and then New York beat them by being really physical around the breakdown and just you know, slowing the ball down and kind of roughing them up. And then every team started doing that, and LA became beatable for the rest of the year. I feel like Atlanta may have exposed something about Austin last week, and I think New England recognized that and took advantage of it this week to, to good effect. And I'm wondering if that's going to continue to happen now until Austin make an adjustment. And that is, I think um, Atlanta showed that Austin has trouble with pressure in the backfield. Like Austin needs a little space and time behind the, the line of gain to let plays develop for them to have for their attack to be effective. And Austin's line or Atlanta's line speed and aggressiveness and defense 
which they do all the time, which I've said, you know, we've discussed on several occasions, I think is a mixed bag, but it, I think it worked very well against Austin. And I think New England did a lot of the same. They kept a lot of pressure on defensively behind the line of gain, you know, really rushing into the backfield, taking away a lot of space for Austin to operate. And I think Austin is really, was really struggling to get consistent attack going with that kind of pressure. And um, now I'm wondering if this is the trend we're going to see, that teams just really focus on the rush defense against Austin, don't give them room to let anything develop in the backfield, and force Austin to, to beat that pressure. You know, it's like it's like the equivalent of like a full-court press sort of defense. You know, It's like someone figured out Austin can't beat the full-court press, and now they're going to get the full-court press until they show they can do something with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll see. I, I, think, I, think that, I mean, I don't think New England – played better than Austin necessarily. They came with a better game plan, and so they won. And I think Austin's going to have to recognize that and, and work on a way around it because right now, you know, when they we're seeing if they don't have the time, they don't have the space, they don't have an answer. You know, especially with their wings who like to run. So, you, you know, you got Julian Dominguez on one wing, you get Connor Mooneyham on the other. And then, you know, he he did end up scoring, and that's how I think they, they're – probably going to have to go through more in the future is like, you know, keep working it wide and then eventually just send Marco Keefe on a crash ball because that seems to have be how they've been working the past couple of weeks is just him straight up the middle is working for whatever reason, but they yeah. can't get, but they can't get wide. It takes time to go wide. And I mean, there's you know, if the defense is a chance to get set. There's no way you're getting all the way to the sideline before the defense is up in there. Right, I mean, you, there's no no one plays that deep, so it you you have to earn being able to go wide by working up the middle, gaining ground in the heart, you know, in the small spaces, so that the defense is backpedaling, they're not set yet, and then you buy yourself some time to go wide and give space to to your guys. But right now, they're not they're not earning that space with the hard meters up front or with. Yeah, you know, more inside lines or crash balls or whatever it would take. Some something that's gonna make force the defense to collapse in a little bit, keep them going backward, so they don't have time to get set and rush the ball every time it you know, comes out of a ruck. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll see. You know, they I mean they have the talent certainly to do it. They have, they have hard running back. I mean, they they have people everywhere they need to have people. Um, I, I think it's just a matter of approach and somebody. You know, I don't know who – one thing you could say about Austin is it's not, like, entirely clear who's orchestrating the attack while they're on the field. I mean, is it coming from the scrum half? Like, you know, Will McGee is not in there, you know, for the most part. Um, Mac Mason, I think, left with an injury during this game at some point. So, I mean, I, I think they need someone in there to make sure that they're doing those things too. Like, someone needs to be – is conducting that attack so that they're working different – points of attack, keeping the defense honest, and then they'll have a little more space to do what they want to do out wide. Yeah. All right. Last game of the weekend, I think everyone knew how this was going to go, but maybe a little bit closer than a lot of people expected. You had Rugby ATL beating Old Glory 27-13. It was only a point, 14-point game, excuse me. Um, I mean, it was pretty much over at the – it was literally over at the 60th minute. Atlanta didn't score beyond that. Um, DC did get two tries after that. Um, you know, I think we had very late tries, so yeah, it's also scored a little closer than uh, it felt all game. Yeah, but I, I think it did. And 
both tries were by subs. So I don't, I can't tell if that's because, you know, the ATL was tired or those subs are really having a big impact. I think, you know, Mike DeBoulis is, does have that big of an impact. He may, they may still be trying to work him back in after his, his injury, but, you know, I think he, he can have the big impact for them that they seem to be missing. You know, they had, they did bring in a new signing and Felix Kalapu, um, um, got, <laughs> he got straight into it, was penalized off the kickoff for a high hit. But so they're, I, we always say there seems to be something missing for DC, but at this point, I don't have any more answers. You know, they need to defend. I mean, that, that's missing. You know, they, they have to play a little tougher on defense. Uh, I think, I mean, honestly, I think it's just Atlanta took their foot off the gas a little bit after they, they ran up the score and they never felt threatened. So I think mean, that'll happen. That's just psychology, I think. Um, yeah, I mean, it's tough, tough going right now in, in, DC, especially if if Fanon Schultz is suspended, um, just really missing the defensive presences in in that lineup. And right now, they're they've got to be reeling. Uh, I did write. I think I mentioned this last week. I, there was a lot of optimism on Facebook and Twitter about this particular match. I don't know why, uh, but there's a lot of you know we got to win. This is the one. We got to win. Uh, they they did not win. Uh, so you know, um, I mean. Everyone has tough years. It seems like this is going to be a tough one for Old Glory. Uh, we, we talked about it a little bit earlier, but and it's the the kind of a little bit of the, the topic of the pod the podcast this week. The East is just looking better this year. I think. I mean, I think we it looked a little bit that way last year too, where like I think. Um, the East just kind of compiled around a couple teams and the West seemed a little bit spread out. But when you actually looked at the head to head, the East was better until, you know, the LA buzzsaw came running into the championship game. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, you know, last year the East was very close. I think the West had LA who looked like the favorite all year. Um, and then, you know, some other contenders who were a little further behind, but um yeah, right now, I mean, I think at the start of this year, Austin was looking like the new LA just in terms of relative strength. But through seven weeks, it's clear to me at least that the East is playing much better. Uh, I mean, almost every, I think after the first two weeks where the West is three and one against the East, since then, the East is eight and two against the West. Uh, and the, you know, overall, that, that works out to nine and five. Um, that includes twice beating Austin, you know, the first place team in, in the West, including once by blow, yeah, you know, by sixteen point win, I think it was for Atlanta. There's really no notable wins that the West has recorded against the East, and when they've won, it's typically been against below five hundred, you know, better better teams from the West beating below five hundred teams from the East, uh, like Toronto, Old Glory. Um, <laughs> So I think right now we, we're just seeing head-to-head matchups. Even like Utah versus Toronto is a great example. I think when they're playing in conference, Toronto seems challenged and Utah seems not great, but you know dangerous. Uh, and they match up in, in Utah and Toronto wins. That just tells me like, you know, even the teams that appear weak in the East are beating playoff contenders in the West on the road. Um, and to add to that, 
out of the I mentioned already that the East is nine and five against the West total on the year. Of those 14 games, 10 have been home games for the West. So the West has big home field advantage and they're still losing, you know, twice as much as they're winning. So I, I think right now it's it would be tough to conclude anything but that the East is the is the stronger division and and the favorite to uh, take away the shield at the end of this year. Yeah, I think I think I mentioned this in our chat before. We I think most of us said the West would probably win again. I know I, my my favorite was Austin. Um, you know, they, they still do look dangerous. They, they absolutely could turn around, but these last two weeks, you, they've just been like, what is going on? You know, two weeks in a row losing to the East teams. I know there's the top East teams, but it, it's still, it's just like, like you mentioned, it was a blowout against ATL. They just couldn't hold on against New England. Um, who Rugby New York went down and crushed Dallas. You know, it's just been um, – it's just been one of those things where you're just like something has to give sooner or later. Like, is the East going to run away with it, or is the West actually going to step up and make a charge? Yeah, like Nola beat Seattle. I mean, you know, even again, mid, you know, Midlands and lower teams in the East are going to West home field and, and winning against good teams. Yeah, I think that's pretty much all we can say on that subject right now. I know maybe it's a spring this on you a little bit. Sorry, Craig. Um, trying to see if we can delay a little bit, see if Liam actually shows up or not. Um, you had mentioned wanting to talk about scrum halves, but I kind of want to turn that into, you mentioned it a little bit for Austin and that they don't really have someone directing, directing the game for them. Who do you feel is missing that along with them? And who do you feel is doing that the best out of, out of the teams? Um, I think Andy Ellis in New York really does a good job of it. Whether he's at scrum half or in this particular week fly half, I think he does a really good job of, of shepherding the attack. Um, I think who else does a good job of it? I think Corralso does a good job in Dallas. Um, I think, uh, I think Bodine Walker does a great job of that. Um, though he doesn't have, you know, I'm not sure that they, they have, as much playmaking talent around him to actually execute, but I think he does a great job of controlling that attack as as best as one person can. Mm. Um, who else? I think Harrison Goddard has done it in the past. They did a lot last year. Uh, or again, it's hard to say. I mean, it seems like it's him doing because the balls are coming so quick from the, the nine. Maybe it wasn't him. Maybe Gitto was just so good that he was able to control it even at that speed from a distance. Um, cause he doesn't seem to do it as much this year. Mm. Um, who else comes to mind? Um, I think teams that really need it are Utah as one. Um, I, I think Austin can, is doing it, but they, they only, they've only been able to do it when they have a lot of time mm. uh, to, to do it. You know, they're, they're not able to do it as quickly as other teams are. So, um, I think in that sense they're struggling a bit because they've been denied that time the last couple of weeks. Hopefully you guys can't hear my kids crying on the uh, microphone here. Uh, who else needs help with it? I think um, I think you know, Toronto actually does a pretty good job. You know, Sam Malcolm does a pretty good job. Um, 
Yeah, Alex Hemo in Seattle, I think, is is decently good at that as well, especially because he works in, I think, a lot of effective kicking into that overall paradigm. You know, he also kicks intelligently, and, and that, you know, helps uh, just leverage what, what Seattle's trying to do a little bit. Uh, that's kind of no one else is jumping to mind. Like, who, do, who do you see, Josh? Where do you see uh, – missing leadership in the uh, attack orchestration. I almost want to say Nola a little bit. They just seem to be kind of all over the place. Um, ETL is is getting there. They do have – excuse the motorcycle going by. Um, They do have some games there and some games it kind of disappears, even though they are 5-1. and So they are able to cover it up a little bit. Um, I think I agree with you on Utah. They definitely need someone there. Um, someone we, I think San Diego has it and Houston, Houston, San Diego. I kind of want to put it in their own category and that they have it, but it similar to ATL. It disappears. Like they have it more so than ATL does, but they don't have the, the cover ability to, to, um, they don't have the other, abilities to cover it up like ATL does, you know, ATL has a kicking game. Um, I don't really, I didn't really see that out of Houston or San Diego. Um, ATL kind of has, has that rush defense more so than San Diego and Houston does. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's like, Oh, I mean, San Diego's good. I think Nate Oxberg does a good job of that. And San Diego uh, of, of orchestrating the attack. So, I, I mean, I think that is a kind of important difference maker as well in MLR. They being able to do it is something that really puts you on a higher you know, plane. And it's hard to, you know, if you're a team that can do it, it's hard to, if you're a team that is having trouble doing it, it's hard to be a team that is thoughtfully organizing its attack. So uh, that seems like something that over the years, MLR is going to be one of the big ways that American talent improves in my mind is they're going to, gain more and more of that institutional knowledge on how to manage an attack in a thoughtful, you know, big picture way. Uh, let's move on to the upcoming week. We only have five, five games this week. So, and no more than two overlapping at a time. So that's good for, for rugby fans. Um, the, all West teams on a bye this week, Austin, Dallas, and San Diego. So it's the East running amok. Uh, time first to read my article and bulletin board me. <laughs> Rugby Network really made me controversial by like taking that quote uh, that the East is clearly better and slapping it on a graphic and uh, putting it everywhere. <laughs> we talk. Are we talking the um, the Lord of the Rings one? No, well, that was like right after. Before that, they just had a picture of like a tackle, and it had a quote from me saying. We have to ask ourselves one simple question. Is the East just better? And upon examination, it seems the answer is a clear yes or something like that. <laughs> uh, so they 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 put that there, which is true. I said that. So, I mean, no, no I'm not hiding. I, I stand by my claim. Uh, but, yeah, now the West is off. So maybe they'll give us some extra motivation. So first game of the weekend, East versus East. Um, Nola versus Old Glory at Seger Field Saturday, March 26, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Rugby Network, NBC Sports Washington, and your view. 
I don't know what to expect out of this game. <laughs> I think, yeah. I think some either, part of me feels like this. Uh, is this a trap game for Nola? This impish desire to pick old glory here. Uh, <laughs> man, it's tempting. Um, is this almost one where you want to wait for the rosters? Yeah, I always wish I'd wait for the rosters. <laughs> you know, I'm going to say, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be crazy. I'm going to say draw. It drew last year. I'm calling draw. I would say I think I think we're I think we're it's written into our contracts. It's legally required that we have to pick one draw a year. So <laughs> might as well pick this one. Because I think in the if I recall the opener last year, um, it was an old glory and Nola draw. It either was or it was like one point. It was a very close game. So, um, I don't know either. Um, I'd like to say Old Glory could put up a fight, but and then Nola probably put up a better fight. I'm going with a safe pick here. I'm just going to go Nola by five. Um, this will probably be one of DC's better games until we get a uh, a wooden spoon, the wooden spoon game between Dallas in a couple weeks. So we'll see what happens there. All right, game of the week, depending on who who you talk to, one versus three. If you actually look at the standings or according to the rugby network, one versus two, which it's absolutely not. Um, they actually put out a graphic and in the tweet said one versus two. So, uh, yeah. So rugby ATL hosting New England. Yeah. Um, Hold on here. There, and there, there's a joke here. God, the, on the memo rugby subreddit page, it made the joke with the parks and rec. Um, Fred Armisen joke about, you know, go to jail, do this, believe it or not, also jail. So they made the joke about the game's at 3 p.m. Eastern. So it was like last Saturday home game, 3 p.m. This one, also 3 p.m. Friday home game, 3 p.m. Believe it So this is like, if you aren't aware of the game's at 3 p.m. Eastern, it's on right. the Rugby Network and NBC Sports Boston. Craig? Um, I, you know, I, this is going to be such an exciting game. I think – they, they they match up so interestingly against each other. I think Atlanta really trying to play fast uh, and New England really trying to play disruptive and capitalize on mistakes. And when you play fast, you make mistakes. Uh, so really, really interesting one. I, um, I'm not going to lie. I, I feel like New England's going to win this one. I think I think New England is, is – I think Atlanta plays right now where they play is too volatile, and New England is a team that probably – New England and New York are probably the two teams that fare the best in volatility. Um, so I'm, I'm going to actually say New England goes to Atlanta and wins by three. Game of the week is always kind of a, a struggle pick for me. Um, I can see it going both ways. I don't see – I see more of a cohesiveness in ATL, whereas I see more of a chaotic offense in New England that kind of relies, especially, I, you know, you saw it more in the, the snow game against Toronto two weeks ago. Um, so I'm going to go ATL by three. I think it'll it'll be one of those close games. So it, it, it's a coin flip almost. You, you kind of want it. You almost could take a draw here. 
So, but I, I do think it's a home game. I'm going to give ATL the, the home home team three points. Next up, possibly, I, I mean, realistically, except for Nola and Old Glory, you could possibly call all four of these games potential game of the week, game of the week picks. Um, next up on Saturday at 6 p.m. Eastern on the Rugby Network, Root Sports Plus, and Bally Sports SoCal at Starfire Stadium, we have. Excuse me, the Los Angeles Giltinis visiting the Seattle Seawolves. Um, you know, this will be interesting. It'll be a three o'clock kickoff in Seattle. So we'll see how that they usually get those night game kickoffs. So we'll see how that affects their game day preparation. Um, but you know, it's a good get another good good matchup on both sides, offense and defense. Yeah. Yeah, like I said, I think LA's been playing played better this week, so that bodes well. Seattle played well, but hard to really judge against Dallas. So, still, I like Seattle at home. Obviously, historically, has been very tough, uh, especially defensively. You know, LA's attack has just been erratic this year so far, and looks better this past week, but. I'd say one week is not enough to change my view. So I'm going to show it this week if they want me to start believing that they've consistently upped, upped the quality of the attack. So I'm going to say Seattle. Uh, I'll say Seattle by four. Um, I'm agree with you on Seattle. I'm actually going to go a little bit bigger. I'm going to go Seattle by seven. I think, um, you know, you would mention it very early in the season that Seattle just doesn't look that put together. And I think they've started coming around, whereas I think LA LA started coming around last week, but we'll see if they can continue it to this week. So I think the the more cohesive team wins this week. So I think Seattle, like I said, I'll take Seattle by seven, especially on their home field, you know, in the always tough Starfire Stadium, where the booing the kicker discussion started. But we all know how most people feel. So moving on. Don't even mention it. Don't even yeah. try. Uh, next up, game of the week on Fox Sports One. Excuse me, national game of the week on Fox Sports. Third One. game of the week. Third game of the week. Um, also on Saturday, March twenty sixth. This time, kicking off at seven p.m. Eastern, five p.m. local time. Houston is visiting Utah and Harriman in that beautiful picturesque stadium. Uh, I don't. I didn't. T- I didn't take a gander at the wind. The wind conditions for Harriman on Saturday, but so we don't know if if weather's going to affect it or not. But I kind of see Utah winning this game. I don't see Houston being able to keep up with them. Interesting. I'm gonna. I'm gonna disagree there. I'm gonna say Houston. I just. I really like what Houston had done a couple weeks ago. I thought they're really finding the right rhythm uh, between their big physical play but with a little bit of excitement, you know, a dash of excitement. Uh, so I, I like, I like what they're doing now. I, I'm, I'm feeling like a Houston run is coming where Utah has got to be feeling pretty lousy with how their season has turned out so far. So I don't know. It isn't, it isn't Utah obviously, but uh, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling Houston. I'm feeling Houston by Houston by what? I'm sorry. Three, three. I'm gonna go Utah by. Uh, I'm gonna go Utah by ten. I'm gonna go a little bit bigger. Um, I've, like I said, I think Utah. Utah has that expansive game, and if the weather is on the their side a little bit more, I know 
you know, with the wind, you get it both, you get it one way or the other, but I, and Houston has, has dealt with that a couple times down in Houston, but I, I definitely think that Utah has the more cohesive team at this point in time than Houston does. So we'll, we'll see, we'll see what happens, but it'll definitely be a good game. Perfect stadium to put on Fox sports one. So if you can watch it, please watch it, show the, show the numbers, support the league. And then, Fourth game of the week, probably Craig's game of the week. We have Tor- the Toronto Arrows visiting Rugby New York on Sunday, March 27th at 3 p.m. Eastern at JFK Stadium in Hoboken on the Rugby Network and TSN. Uh, Craig, your, your, your team, your pick. I, I think I'm going to attend this one in person. Uh, it's a bit of a drive, but I, th- I think I'm going to go for it. Uh, and I'm going to try to just be a fan and not a podcaster slash journalist, which I you know, sometimes yeah you lose you, almost you lose sight a bit with the fanhood. Uh, so looking forward to it as a as a personal event. Uh, I do think New York is going to win. I just think they're playing very strong right now, um, and I mean it'll depend on health, I suppose, as as you could probably say for all teams. Uh, they they do have some concerns around the, their halfback pairing as well and the health, you know, of Andy Ellis and Sam Windsor. Um, you know, they, they had Heighton obviously the other day who I think it also got hurt and he was, I think he was a last minute scratch this week. So, you know, there, there could be some injury concerns, but, um, you know, until I see that for sure, I'm going to say this is a, a New York win. I'll say New York by seven. Uh, I think I'm going to actually take the same pick as you. I'm going to go New York by 7-2. Um, I think we've seen a, a little bit of a turnaround from Toronto, but I think New York is just too strong at this point to, for them. Um, I think, you know, Will Tucker is getting better. Um, like I mentioned earlier, Kololo Tuiloma has been great. Dylan Fawcett, uh, speaking of Dylan Fawcett, him and Sam Windsor both reached a 50-cap mark this past week, so that was great for them. So, I, but I, speaking of Sam Windsor, I think we've seen that Jack Hayton's taking over for him. I think we've, I know, was it Craig? Did you think that Sam Windsor was going to have a bigger impact than he has had so far? I mean, certainly before the season, I thought so. And Sam Windsor's, was he the leading scorer in MLR history? I mean, it's not like he's an old man. He's been playing at a very high level, including last year. I don't think he's had much of an impact, at least not a positive impact in New York so far. Uh, of course, I means long way to go yet in the season. I think I, I think if he's healthy, you know, I think he's still a starter in New York. You know, but um, th- that that position may be in jeopardy at least now because he's he's not done much with it. Um, but yeah, you know, I think they're honoring him this week for fifty caps. So uh, certainly a big honor. Uh, you know. Congrats to him, and uh, you know, let's see if he gets in the in the New York state of mind, the New Jersey state of mind. Uh, I think it's a little bit early for us. Do we want to maybe pick another topic? I have one in mind, or I know you have your kids maybe riling up a little bit. You sure, let's, let's do a lightning round. What, what lightning round. All right, uh, the grassroots development initiatives. No, may we may not know enough about everything, 
But every team is pretty much, except for Dallas, they elected not to pursue these salary cap awards. And then Toronto, um, because of the pandemic restrictions in um, Ontario, they did not run a youth development initiative. But every team hit everything else. Toronto hit the high school team and the academy team. So I, I think that's pretty good for the growth of rugby so far, especially with um, the recent announcement that um, USA Rugby is focusing on um, 2031 and 2033 for the Women's World Cup. Yeah, man, it's great. Uh, I, I, just, I guess I'd caution people that it's going to be a slow process. If it's going to happen, it's not going to be overnight. I mean, youth programs now are going to take a decade to materialize at the higher levels. So, you know, I feel like society can be very impatient with things in general and expects immediate results. And that's not realistic. This is a generational thing. You know, we're, we're, we're invest now. We'll start seeing the returns next generation. Mm-hmm. So just be prepared for the long haul. Um, one of the things I actually do want, would like to see at least um, for the rugby network, um, by the way, congratulations to them. They've got 70,000, subscribers recently so that was a good milestone for them let's see if we can reach 100k soon um the i would actually like to see matches between the teams um i know one of the um requirements for the developmental academy one is that they have to have um at least four academy games during the prior calendar year so for they had to have four academy games last season but I'd like to see more um, so they could, according to the MLR website, they can either be against overseas professional developmental teams, um, division one clubs or other similar um, caliber opposition. But I'd like to see the, the Academy teams face each other as kind of like a warm up game and maybe, you know, broadcast it on the rugby network is, Hey, look at the future. This is, this is what we're getting. You may be able to see these guys on, you know, a Saturday or Sunday, maybe as soon as the season. So, Yeah, I mean, that sounds great. I guess we, we don't really have enough info to know if that's feasible cost-wise, but uh, certainly it would be entertaining. Sure. All right. That was actually all I had, unfortunately. All right. Um, that was the lightning round. That was right. lightning round, one it's, round. It's um, on a pod. You don't need to talk your guys' ears off every week. So, yeah. Let's get to the ending part where I actually have a script now so I don't go all over the place. Thank you for listening, everyone. Once again, my name is Joshua Fredland. You can find me on Twitter at Josh Fred and Leet Speak. This is Craig Gudeli. You can find him at MM Flyhouse on Twitter. We are Earful of Dirt. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook and in, at Earful of Dirt. Thank you for listening, everyone, and go watch some of me. Thanks for listening to Earful of Dirt. Connect with your hosts via Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Earful of Dirt. Visit our website at earfulofdirt.com or email us your thoughts and questions to earfulofdirt at gmail.com.